Online. Welcome to Catholic View on this Wednesday evening. I'm Sheila Fitch. Thank you so much for being here with me. Coming up in today's broadcast of Catholic View, we'll take a look at some of the updates from the plenary session taking place in Pretoria. That's the SACBC plenary session. And we'll also take a look at the latest developments surrounding the protests of the Catholic Church and lay people in the DRC Congo. But first, as usual, we begin with just some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay tuned. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. And in your headlines this Wednesday evening, Pope Francis reflects on his trip to Peru and Chile during his general audience. SACBC president asks forgiveness for the errors of the church in South Africa. And the Anglophone priest discusses the church in Cameroon. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. During his general audience today, Pope Francis reflected on his recent apostolic journey to Chile and Peru. The Pope affectionately recalled his trip to the women's prison and his encounters with locals. He also reiterated the importance of respecting and conserving indigenous cultures and the value of clear, sincere dialogue to resolve issues. The Holy Father reviewed the various stages of his journey, noting the motto for his visit to each of the two countries. In Chile, the motto, My Peace I Give You, was made more current and living on account of various protests that took place ahead of his visit. He noted that the gift of peace, the peace each one of us and the whole world needs, can only come as a gift from Jesus, dead and risen. He asked us to continue our prayers for peace. The motto for the Pope's visit to Peru, United by Hope, prompted the reflection that unity does not mean a sterile uniformity, where all are equal. Instead, unity consists in bringing together all the riches of the differences that we have inherited from history and culture. Wrapping up his resume of his apostolic visit, Pope Francis said, As always, the words of Jesus give everything their fullest sense. And so the gospel of the final Eucharistic celebration in Lima has recalled the message of God for his people in Chile and Peru. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the Lord seems to say, Receive the peace I give you, and you will be united in my hope. The Southern African Catholic Bishops' Conference, the SACBC, January Plenary, opened yesterday, with Mass celebrated by Conference President Archbishop Stephen Brislin of Cape Town. After the Mass, the bishops took an opportunity to pay tribute to well-known Father Barney McAleer for his work in the Department of Evangelization. It's in, our, in the letters of St. Paul, it's a joy to give. It's more blessed to give than to receive, the Lord has said it. And Father Barney has been able to communicate that. So Barney, the bishops wish to say to you, thank you very much. We appreciate all that you have done for the church. The work you have done cannot be described uh, in any meaningful way. But you have brought people into the church with joy, you have sung with them, you have uplifted them, and you have given them strength. You have often said, 
evangelization, which has been the theme of your life, is one poor man helping another poor man to find bread. And so, Barney, with these words, I wish to thank you. And now there is a, a small award which we want to give to you. Barney, thank you very much. And in his opening address at the SACBC plenary this morning, Archbishop Stephen Brislin noted that this year is the 200th anniversary of the establishment of the Catholic Church in South Africa. Nosipo Khadebe has more. Archbishop Stephen Brislin noted in his opening address that we are living in difficult and confusing times. In these confusing but urgent times, we need to give leadership. One great strength of the Church as an institution is that we work at the grassroots level and much can be achieved in changing attitudes and humanizing our society. The proposed pastoral plan, which incorporates issues both at intra and at extra, is a usable instrument that can be practically implemented to continue the mission of the church to evangelize as we embark on the next bicentennial phase. He added that a shift in mindset on evangelization and consultation has led to the formulation of a new draft pastoral plan. The Archbishop outlined three key areas – Firstly, that the church needs to accompany the youth in their faith and engage them in dialogue. Secondly, he reflected on racism. And thirdly, on the careful creation. He said the issues and concerns raised by Pope Francis in Laudato Si also formed part of the pastoral plan. Archbishop Brislin went on to talk about climate change and its potentially devastating impact on the poor. The water crisis in Cape Town, as we catapult towards day zero, should be a wake-up call on the delicacy and finiteness of the environment. In this case, the realization that water is a finite resource, that even when we have it in abundance, it should be utilized with care and responsibility. Other topics the Archbishop touched on included leaders betraying the poor. While paying lip service to the problems we face and using very pious words, leaders in whom the electorate placed their trust have betrayed the country and most especially betrayed the poor for their own selfish and greedy interests. Corruption in both the private and public sectors are needing to abandon our corrupt ways. We should not neglect the fact that corruption is not just at government and civil service level. It is not just state capture. We have witnessed the massive corruption in corporates, even in companies in which people usually place great faith. There is corruption at every level. As I have said before, the corrupt include people who sit on the pews of our churches, mosques, temples and synagogues for their weekly worship as well as the feasibility of free higher education. In terms of education, I again feel that the announcement by the President on the eve of the ANC conference that there would be free tertiary education for certain categories of people was irresponsible and damaging. I do not believe that any person can be against free tertiary education as an ideal, but it needs to be balanced against the needs of others, most especially other young people, those who are in the majority, who do not have the qualifications to attend university or colleges, who are unemployed, who are without hope. They are the majority of young people in our country, and they need to be given assistance and training in skills that can equip them to earn a living. Moving on to more African news, Ravina Shandasani, human rights office spokesperson, has expressed her concern over what she described as a pattern of repression in the context of rising political tensions in the Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC. Brownwin Cowley has more. Last Sunday, the UN Joint Human Rights Office in the DRC recorded at least six deaths during demonstrations in Kinshasa with 63 others wounded. 
115 people arrested, and the firing of tear gas into churches in various parts of the country. Security forces also reportedly used live ammunition against demonstrators. Ms. Shamdasani said that a UN human rights officer was also caught up in the violence. A colleague of ours was kicked and punched by security forces in Kinshasa while he was trying to conduct human rights monitoring of the demonstrations. The UN mission in the DRC is taking up this incident with the authorities. Meanwhile, the head of Congo's Catholic Church, Cardinal Laurent Mosengo, has condemned the government of President Joseph Kabila for the deadly crackdown on pro-democracy protesters, suggesting his country was becoming like a prison. The Catholic Church in Cameroon is praying for peace and solidarity with internally displaced Anglophone Cameroonians. This comes as tens of thousands of people from the Anglophone region of Cameroon have been forced to flee across to neighboring Nigeria, trying to escape the increasingly brutal violence by security forces of the country's despotic leader, 84-year-old Paul Bia, who has been in power for 37 years. Father Richard Njoroje lives in the Anglophone region of Cameroon and says the Catholic Church has begun efforts to help communities that have been displaced. The church is also very much in solidarity with um, with communities that have been displaced from their homes because of the, the military operation. And that military operation came about because it was believed that there was a group of young people who are organizing and the lines of prophets to you know, to attack government installations. So when the military came in, a number of and started moving from one house to another, arresting young people. Quite a number of people ran away. And the church is trying to call for justice to be done, that they should be sent back home. South Sudan, the world's youngest country, is where the largest proportion of children are out of school and where the highest proportion of children are refugees. Around 2.5 million refugees in the country are facing extreme food shortages. According to Henrietta Four, the new executive director of the United Nations Children's Fund, acute malnutrition rates are rising as three out of four households face moderate to severe food insecurity. Brown and Cowley reports. It's just too low for any of us to feel that you can have a well-governed country or uh, citizens that will really be able to govern their country. But there is now hope that many child soldiers will be released from armed groups over a period of a few weeks. The challenges of reintegrating these children into school and society is enormous, but Ms. Forrest said that any child's life is a long-term investment. New videos have emerged showing African refugees being abused in Libya. Illegal detention centers, extortion and slavery have become common as many people trying to reach Europe are either caught or returned to Libya. Al Jazeera's Osama bin Javaid has this report. Libya is a major hub for human smugglers and traffickers who use the country as a transit for a perilous boat journey to Europe. Some officials have been accused of taking bribes to free people from illegal detention centers where people are kept under inhumane conditions. But Libyan forces deny the allegations that some are involved in rape, forced labor and even murder. The poorly equipped Navy and Coast Guard say they are doing Europe's job of policing 1,700 kilometers of coastline 
and the Mediterranean. The Navy spokesman says the issue of migrant abuse is being fabricated to force international intervention. They want to make illegal immigrants victims and to make Libya look like the culprit. Perhaps when these things proliferate, the international community will be urged to intervene in Libya under the pretext of illegal immigration. This is part of their plan. Libya has been fragmented between two governments and many militias vying for power. Last year, the videos of African migrants being sold in slave auctions sparked an international outcry. But Libyans accuse European nations of not doing enough and say the onus of dealing with migrants from across Africa has been dumped on Libya. Libya did not and cannot play the role of a policeman. This relationship needs to be organized. An international conference between Libyans and northern European states should resolve how Libya can deal with part of the matter as all of it can't be imposed on Libya. We cannot be a cemetery, a residence or a jail. Despite the crackdown by Libyan and Italian navies, more than 100,000 migrants reached Italy last year. At least 3,000 people died in boats which couldn't withstand the rough Mediterranean waters. Rights groups say the strategy to turn people away hasn't worked and opened new avenues for abuse and exploitation. After years of failure, Europe and Libya need a new approach. And in other news, the Vatican Secretariat for Communication is collaborating with the French Federation of Catholic Media on a two-day communications conference in Lourdes this week. And finally, Pope Francis has sent a message to the World Economic Forum in Davos, which is taking place this week. Nosipo Hadebe has more. In his message, the Holy Father says it is vital to safeguard the dignity of the human person, in particular by offering to all people Real Opportunities for Integral Human Development. Didier O'Kane reports for Vatican News. In his message to the executive chairman of the forum, Professor Klaus Schwab, to mark the opening of the annual meeting in Davos, Pope Francis notes that this year's theme, Creating a Shared Future in a Fractured World, is very timely, adding that at the level of global governance, we are increasingly aware that there is a growing fragmentation between states and institutions. The recurring financial instabilities, he says, have brought new problems and serious challenges that governments must confront, such as the growth of unemployment, the increase in various forms of poverty, the widening of the socio-economic gap and new forms of slavery, often rooted in situations of conflict, migration and various social problems. In his message, the Pope also says that the world of labour is called to take courageous steps in order that being and working together is not merely a slogan, but a program for the present and the future. Speaking about the plight of vulnerable and suffering people, he underlines that we cannot remain silent in the face of the suffering of millions of people whose dignity is wounded, nor can we continue to move forward as if the spread of poverty and injustice had no cause. Lydia O'Kane tells us more. Pope Francis goes on to say that it is a moral imperative, a responsibility that involves everyone to create the right conditions to allow each person to live in a dignified manner. By rejecting a throwaway culture and a mentality of indifference, the entrepreneurial world has enormous potential to effect substantial change by increasing the quality of productivity, creating jobs, respecting labour laws, fighting against public and private corruption and promoting social justice together with the fair and equitable sharing of profits. Concluding his message, the Pope comments that now is the time to take courageous and bold steps for our beloved planet. 
This is the right moment, he says, to put into action our responsibility to contribute to the development of humanity. And that was a look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Thank you for joining me this Wednesday evening. I'm Sheila Birch and you are listening to Catholic View. Coming up next is our feature program. Today we take a look at the ongoing crisis in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, DRC. Despite the use of live ammunition, violation of human rights by police and security forces during the peaceful march which was held in parts of the Democratic Republic of Congo DRC on Sunday, the Catholic Church maintains her stance towards incumbent President Joseph Kabila and his government. I spoke to the Chancellor of Johannesburg Archdiocese, Father Jean-Marie Didho, about the latest developments. Following the march that took place last Sunday, the 21st of January, organized by the Catholic Church, yesterday evening, the Cardinal of uh, Congo, um, Archbishop um, uh, Mosengo Laurent Passinia, made a statement, released a statement yesterday, and also a provisional uh, statement was also released by the Nunchecha in Congo, the Apostolic Nunchecha in Congo. And uh, the one that was released by the Cardinal was to express once again uh, his deep sorrow about the killings of peaceful marchers um, uh, on Sunday. And also uh, he was uh, very strong on the, on, on, on the government where he qualified them, where he called them that now this government has made uh, Congo to be a prison where even though we are free walking and doing whatever we can do, but we're feeling being inside a prison because no march is allowed, nobody is allowed to express his or her voice. And uh, he was very strong in his statement. And uh, the, 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 the Munchecha, as I read their uh, statement yesterday also, they gave uh, a sort of a summary of... Um, what happened in uh, various parts of the country. Remember, dear Shiva, that uh, the march on the 21st was not only in Kinshasa, the capital city, but it was spread all over the country in the big cities like uh, Kisangani, Bukavu, Lubumbashi, Mbanda Kabikoro, in Kananga. All these big cities where uh, 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 people are gathered, people marched there, and uh, they were already uh, also uh, oppressed, and some of the Catholic churches could not even open their doors to worship on that day. So as it stands now, what about the security of the Catholic Church? What about the security of the priests, of the clergy, seeing that these marches were organized by the clergy? How safe are they now in the DRC? The Catholic Church now, especially the clergy, the priests, and even uh, nuns and religious uh, sisters and brothers, are not safe. As I was reading the statement that was released by the Apostolic Munchecha uh, following the March of the 21st, they say that uh, 75 parishes in Kinshasa alone were vandalized and where police went to barricade uh, the road so that the uh, parishioners... Uh, 
could not go inside to worship, and there were shootings, and they also throwing of tear gases inside the churches. Seventy-five parishes were vandalized. <coughs> Sorry. And we also had uh, that there were 12 dead, but according to the police uh, statement, they only released that more two were dead, but the church speaks about 12, and more than 100 wounded, and more than 200 uh, arrested. And among those arrested, priests were among them. One priest was wounded, three priests were arrested. What they did to D.A. Sheila, that is even more humiliating for the Catholic priest in Congo, is that one priest was uh, arrested with his parishioners as he was, uh, 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 they were marching, and they were stripped off their clothes, and the priest was uh, 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 left naked in the presence of his parishioners. And only then later, when one of his ministers, of this government ministers, felt that it was too much, that he rushed to the place and to release the, the, the priest and start making him comfortable, saying, have a seat, uh, do this and that. It is very, very humiliating, and you can see all what I'm talking about on the social media, especially on YouTube, you will see it with pictures. And uh, when you look at the situation, like in the diocese of Kananga in Bunjimai, the Nusheta says that uh, most of the parishes there did not worship on that day, because early in the hours of the morning, the army, the police was uh, 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 released to go and uh, stay or blow, uh, barricade the roads and stay in front of the church uh, 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 gate so that people could not enter. And the bishop of that diocese also released a message saying, uh, parishioners, uh, my priest, you must not give up and go and do your noble work that you are called to do, your mission to preach and to, to, to say mass. But most of the parishes in that diocese did not work, did not uh, worship on that Sunday. And then what's the way forward? What does the Catholic Church now say? What does the, what does the Cardinal say? Should this protest continue, seeing the violence that took place last Sunday? The trend right now is that uh, the, the march, uh, the protest uh, should continue. They are planning for another uh, protest in the near future. The date has not yet been released. And also, you will recall, dear Sheila, that uh, in 1993, uh, I think 1992 or 1993, if I'm not mistaken, uh, during the time of uh, Mobutu, the dictator, uh, Catholics marched also on the 16th of February, and many were killed. And that date has remained now as uh, the day where we commemorated the Christian martyrs who were killed for democracy on that day. And uh, I can foresee that on that day, 16th of February, there would be uh, another commemoration or maybe a march to remember them, but also to foster democracy that they themselves died for. But there are some marches that are being planned, uh, according to the uh, uh, statement that um, the committee, that uh, the lay committee that is organizing all uh, those marches, said they will, in the near future, announce another date until they meet what they are, their requirement, the government remits their requirement, what they are fighting for. Well, Father, thank you so much for sharing this with us. And uh, remember that we're still hoping for a brighter future for the DRC, that democracy will really come to light. Any last words before I let you go? Uh, thank you very much, dear Sheila. My last word is that uh, as now um, 
Our bishops conference here in South Africa, the SACBC, are meeting in their plenary in Pretoria and Janvian Seminary. Uh, my message is just to ask uh, for uh, to plead to them that uh, if they can send a letter of support to their colleagues, bishops in Congo, who are fighting for justice and peace, just a message, a letter of support like the uh, other bishops' conferences around the world have done. I've seen the bishops' conference in France have written a letter of support. The bishops' conference in Belgium have written a letter of support to the bishops' conference of Congo. The bishops' conference of the United States of America have written also a message of support. Uh, my plea is that if my own conference here in South Africa can uh, write a letter of sympathy uh, supporting their brothers in, 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 in Congo, it will be a very good thing to me. And my thanks goes there once again to Father Jean-Marie Didot, the Chancellor of the Johannesburg Archdiocese. And as mentioned earlier, the Southern African Catholic Bishops' Conference is in Pretoria for their January plenary. Father Paul Tato, the Communications Officer of the SACBC, gives us the following updates. Uh, first of all, early in the morning, you're in the kick of the pre, uh, the second day of the plenary, we had uh, the address of um, the president of SACBC, uh, Archbishop uh, Stephen Brislin, of which he was covering all the aspects of the SACBC, including the social aspects. So it was really a, a comprehensive report on the SACBC works and trying to give a map of where the church is now. And after that, uh, the bishops were addressed by um, uh, Archbishop Peter Wells, uh, the uh, apostolic nuncio to South Africa, Botswana, Swaziland, Lesotho, and Namibia. He also emphasized some of the aspects, such as, you know, uh, uh, giving more attention to the young people. He really emphasized that, you know, young people should be taken care of and also safeguarding against those who are vulnerable, you know, protection of minors, uh, protection of children and so on. So those are some of the aspects that he really emphasized during his address. So this is what is going on now. Now, this afternoon, we have been focusing on the evaluation of the mini World Youth Day. As you know, that it was not yet evaluated uh, by the bishops. So the focus until now is still on the evaluation of the mini World Youth Day. And there are good things coming up from that. You know, the bishops are very positive about the mini World Youth Day, and they would like to see more things happening on that uh, issue of young people, you know, the formation of young people, you know, choosing of uh, the best chaplains, you know, people who can help the young people to have a better formation and so on. And also now they were talking about, you know, whether this kind of event should uh, happen sooner or later. So the discussions are still going on. Uh, definitely, we will hear later about the developments or about the conclusions uh, concerning 
the event of a mini world youth day but again what came out uh, clearly was that now after the mini world youth day uh, the focus now should be given to the world youth day which is going to take place uh, in january 2019 in, in panama so <clears throat> the bishops are emphasizing that now uh, together with uh, the sacb the youth office and all the stakeholders involved that uh, the focus should be now encouraging young people to go to this uh, kind of experiences because they do help them a lot, especially in their formation and in their faith as well. So, Father Paul, what are the other subjects that the bishops will be looking at during this plenary? Yes, uh, in the day of tomorrow which is the 25th of January. You know, there's um, what you call in the SACBC, the Council for Evangelization. The Council of, uh, for Evangelization is the umbrella body for all the activities of the um, uh, South African Catholic Bishops' Conference. And as you, you know from uh, the teachings of the Church, that uh, the Church exists, to evangelize. So the whole focus during the day of tomorrow will be uh, on the Council for Evangelization. First of all, there will be a focus on the um, the new pastoral plan, which has been discussed uh, before it can be uh, launched as the official pastoral plan of the SACBC. On top of that, all departments of uh, the SACBC will be given their own different reports. Now, you would remember that, uh, Sheila, we have six departments as big as uh, some of the departments uh, of the government. So we have uh, six departments are going to give uh, the report based on the achievements and what they have been doing and the way on different issues, also trying to integrate uh, what could be the possibility in terms of addressing other social problems that are there in our own <laughs>